0: Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to $0.20 per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to $0.20 per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is $0.20 per gallon in a single fill-up, up up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store.
1: Welcome back to the Restricted Area Podcast, The Wrap. I'm your host, as always, Will Reeve. You can follow me on Twitter at Will Reeve Jr. We're going to be joined here today by a guest from About.com, who covers the Blazers, Oliver Moroni, Great basketball mind. Be sure to give him a follow at Omaroni as well, too. Head on over to b-ballbreakdown.com as we are The Breakdown is back every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're dropping the hottest pieces on all the biggest games. Got some of the best writers, coach, breaking down all the video footage, and, of course, the Flagrant 2 Podcast and the Restricted Area Podcast once a week, every single week, as well as video breakdowns from the coach. So get on over to B-Ball Breakdown and check out everything while you're listening. What we're seeing from the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry, I know I know, a lot of people have talked about this, and I get it, that a lot of people have really overdone this topic, but you can't really overdo something that is this historically good. Check it. The Golden State Warriors are 20-0, and Steph Curry hasn't even played In the fourth quarter in six of those games. Ridiculous. Steph Curry has six 40-point games in his first 20. The first player to do that since a guy named Michael Jordan in 1996. 102 threes in his first 20 games. And no one ever has had more than 75. Kobe Bryant has 121 career games with 40 points. Never once shot a higher percentage in any of them than Steph did the other night when he went 14 of 18. What we are witnessing from the Golden State Warriors is incredible. What we're seeing from Steph Curry is ridiculous. And do you want to hear something that's even a little bit that much scarier? Danny LaRue of the Sporting News wrote a piece back in mid-November, and it's been highlighted and touched on by Amin Halheisen of ESPN and a couple of other broadcasters out there, but Kevin Durant literally could actually go to the Warriors after this year, the team could make it work. They could bring Harrison Barnes in and go over the cap and still feasibly have the room to bring in Kevin Durant. And if I'm Kevin Durant, there is absolutely no way that I'm passing on that opportunity because, yes, there's Clay Thompson, there's Steph Curry, you know, you have these, you know, and Draymond Green and Harrison Barnes and these these players that can score and do so many different things. Well, you know, you're looking at an all-time player in Kevin Durant, you know, shooting what he's shooting at his size and what he's able to do. It's incredible. Am I gonna lose touches? I wouldn't care because he's been doing all the putting up these crazy numbers in OKC for how long? And it looks like this team once again in OKC has that that has a ceiling on them, a very firm ceiling where I don't see them getting over the hump this year. I'm not necessarily sure what the coaching change did for this offense. If you watch the offense of the Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, last year and for the most you know, for the last several years with Scotty Brooks at the helm, their offense was give the ball to Russell Westbrook, let him come up court and uh, let him let him do his thing. And he'll crave for other people or crave for himself. And that was their offense. And I'm watching the offense this year, and it's the same thing, even with the coaching change. So I'm not necessarily sure that they have the leadership. Um, or the strategy in place to be able to get over the hump. Plus, Sergi Baca does not look like himself. I don't know what's going on there. So if I'm Kevin Durant, and I know that the Golden State Warriors can actually feasibly do this, and Danny LaRue broke it down, and they literally can, boy, wouldn't that be terrifying? Absolutely terrifying if Kevin Durant is playing on the Golden State Warriors next year with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Harrison Barnes, Draymond Green, my word, they wouldn't even have to give up their pieces. He breaks it down. It is terrifying. If you look at Kevin Durant's numbers, and a lot a lot of people realize this, he is literally shooting as well as Steph Curry, right around there. He's in that 50% from the field plus, 46% from three, 90%, you know, club from the free throw line. His PER is over 30. He is incredible. He is an incredible shooter. He's on pace to have his best season when it comes to PER and efficiency and offensive efficiency and true shooting percentage that he has in his entire career. And you're going to put that guy on the same team as Steph Curry? My word. I, I, I mean, uh, as a basketball fan, boy, wouldn't that be fun to watch? As a Lakers fan... I would probably go crawl in a hole and you know about the next five years because <laughs> it's going to be the Golden State Warriors show. Now that's a, that's a ways off, and right now what the, what the Thunder's doing, what the Golden State Warriors are doing, what the Golden State Warriors are doing as a team, it's ridiculous. And I know that a lot of people think you know they haven't played that many hard hard teams yet, but they're twenty and zero. It doesn't matter who they've won twenty games in a row every single night. They go out there, they're beating the competition, and that Cleveland Cavaliers matchup on Christmas. If they don't lose before then, if you look at the road ahead of them, I don't know how you could pick against them regardless of who they're playing at this point and actually feel good about it. I don't see them necessarily losing before then unless, you know, Steph Curry has one of those off nights that we haven't seen yet this year and goes like one for 14 from the field. You know that's going to happen at some point. It's a long season. And even the best players in the history of the game have those type of nights. And I think that when that night happens, it's going to be the night that the Warriors lose. But I don't ever count on a night like that happening with the Golden State Warriors. So they would be 28-0 and going into that Christmas Day matchup. Boy, wouldn't that be fun to watch? Them go up against LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers Twenty eight 28-0. I hope that happens. I really do. Well, the New York Knicks have been a hit and miss team so far. You know, they're they're fun to watch. They've been definitely fun to watch. And uh, I've enjoyed watching Chris Tapp's, Porzingis' development. He's already growing as a player. He's only averaging 28 points right now, but early on in the season for about the first 10 games, uh, Coach Fisher was only playing about 24, so he's definitely getting more minutes recently and we're starting to see more production. He's at 13.8 points right now per game and 9.3 total rebounds. But I think that poor Zingus right now, who's on pace to average a couple blocks per game in you know, 13.8 points and 9.2 rebounds, is going to get more minutes. His production is obviously going to go up when that happens. And, you know, we've seen it go up. And we've seen him improve. And we've seen his confidence even get more confident. He's a confident dude. Uh, there's only a handful of players that in the history of the NBA, as rookies, have come in and averaged 15 points. 10 rebounds and two blocks going back to 1946 and 47. You might recognize some of these names. And this is who Kristaps Porzingis is on the path to be in the same conversation with. And boy, did we not see that coming. David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Hakeem Olajuwon, Alonzo Mourning, Ralph Sampson in 83-84, Tikembe Motombo in 1991-92. This kid is special. Look, I wrote a piece on B-Ball Insider's Be sure to check it out a few weeks ago saying exactly that coach did a video breakdown that went along with it. That was really, truly excellent. And um, I said it, this kid is special and it's not just what he's able to do. And let's face it. None of those guys you see right there that I just listed off. None of those guys could shoot a three pointer. They weren't three point shooters. This kid's a three point shooter as well too. Now his percentage isn't quite as sexy as you'd like it to be from three point, but he's demonstrated that he has The range. He's got his percentage up to 33%. You could expect it to be around 38%. That's what he was averaging out in the European League. He's only going to get better. He's going to get stronger. He's going to get more comfortable. You know They have to sag off of him at times when he has traditional fours and fives on him. And look, that's going to happen. And he's a good shooter. So not only is he on pace to be in the same conversation this rookie year with those all-time great Hall of Fame players that we just listed off, he's even better than them in one area. He's a three-point shooter. He is special you're not watching the Knicks and you've got league pass, go back and watch the archives. You see it. Love what I'm seeing from this kid. Not only do I love what I'm seeing when it comes to just his ability to put up numbers, his shot, his shot selection demonstrates that he is smart. He works from the elbows and at the rim mostly. That's his heaviest volume and the right baseline because he shoots a high percentage from there. He is a cerebral, smart, driven, passionate kid. Who is doing some things that we have hardly ever seen before. So yes, we're seeing Steph do some things we've never seen before. And we've seen, obviously, Cats really great as a rookie. He's getting more minutes than Porzingis. But look out, Porzingis is coming because he's going to get more minutes. Don't sleep on this kid while I'm being rookie of the year. And don't sleep on him I'm being potentially an all-time great. I said it three or four games into the season. You could look at a player, and this is where analytics don't tell you everything. The analytics didn't tell me three or four games into the season when I wrote that piece about him being special. That Chris Steps Porzingis was this special. What told me that were my eyes. Look, you look at James Harden apathy in the clutch moments, and I don't know if he's, good, if he's, he's the leader that I want going into a championship series. Your eyes tell you that. Analytics don't tell you that. You have to weigh both. So while here, we're here at B-Ball Breakdown breaking everything down, giving you all the analytics, and boy, those are juicy to digest, and they're lovely to digest. Do not forget about your eyes. Because three to four games to this season, I saw somebody who was confident, not scared, unbelievably passionate and driven, looking to absorb information and had an unbelievable skill set. When you when you couple that and you see that with your eyes, because he was shooting below forty percent at that point when I wrote that piece. Look, Porzingis is special. Don't sleep on this kid. If you don't have league pass, go get it and watch him. He is fun to watch. And on that note. I think that the NBA might want to charge a little bit extra to watch the Warriors. Because what we're seeing from that team, we've never seen before. And we may never see again in our lifetimes. It's that special. Tucky head coach, Don Calipari, and uh, former NBA coach as well, too, he coached for the Nets for a while. And he obviously coached Derrick Rose when he was in college. came out and said yesterday on a piece that was dropped, I believe, on ESPN, that Derrick Rose does not have a high pain threshold. Yeah. uh, Captain Obvious alert. I think we all kind of knew that Calipari, but to hear that from a coach and normally, you know, your previous coach, somebody who obviously advocates for you to get drafted high. Nobody does that more than Calipari. He tends to draft with all of his guys. He's able to recruit the best talent in the nation and a great victory by UCLA. But by the way, last night in defeating Kentucky. Um, But anyways, Derek Rose, you know, it, it's always concerned me with, you know, his whole comeback and how he had a commercial for the comeback during that first time when he blew out his ACL. Then he ended up sitting out and saying, uh, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, I, I don't, you know, re-injure it. And then, you know, we wait till the next injury and it's talking about, he wants to make sure that he's okay for his, for his kids, you know, graduation 15 years from now. And that's not a player that I want getting paid, you know, the amount of money that he's getting paid a 20 plus million dollar a year type of player leading my team because he's not even going to be on the court if something's tweaked. So John Calipari came out and, and confirmed for that. And I'm concerned for the Chicago Bulls team. I'm concerned for Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose has not adapted his game to what his body is now. You cannot watch Derrick Rose now and not admit he is never going to be as explosive as he was before. Does he show flashes of quickness? Sure. Exploding off the floor? Nope. He has been nowhere near what he was. Look, we used to compare him to the—we used to say that he was the most explosive point guard. Derrick Rose, not Russell Westbrook the most explosive point guard that we have ever seen in NBA history. And now, you know, he's getting shots blocked by guys. I've seen him get blocked by guards. He's not able to get the lift. He doesn't have that same explosion, but he's playing the same way. And it's not working out for him. He's got coaches saying it's not a high pain threshold. And his teammates probably had to rub him the wrong way these last few years, him not coming back and making the choice not to come back. You know, and all of these factors combined – you know, I don't see Derrick Rose in Chicago next year. And I'm not necessarily sure who wants to take him. Look, he, he's, he talked about before this season, he's looking at his, his next max contract. Who's going to pay Derrick Rose a max contract right now? This is Jimmy Butler's team. Chicago Bulls somehow have uh, found their way to an 11-5 and record with Derrick Rose having a lower PER than Kobe Bryant does this year. Yes, than the guy who's shooting the worst. There's only one guy in the history of the NBA that's that's, a a rotational player at the end of the season shooting worse than Kobe Bryant. His name is Woody Salisbury. It was 1960-61 for the St. Louis Hawks. Yeah, he shot 29.9%. There's one guy who has shot worse than Kobe Bryant. And Derrick Rose has a worse efficiency rating than Kobe Bryant this year. He's got a 9.7 PER. Atrocious. Andre Miller is 40 years old. He's got an above 15 PER. And as a basketball fan, you never want to root for somebody to not be able to make it back from injuries like that. But look, there's some people that are made for the pounding of the NBA 82 game schedule. I mean, these guys play a lot of games, and there's some bodies that just aren't made for it, you know. And with he plays a high risk type of game, he's still going to the basket now. He can still break down a defense, you know. But it's it's sad to see the state of Derrick Rose's game. You know, having a lower PER than Kobe Bryant. You know, that says a lot right now with, with the state of Kobe's game right now. And yes, Kobe's played a little bit better since he's made the announcement, but he's still, you know, all-time worst season right now. He's on pace for that. It's it's tough to watch Derrick Rose, this version of Derrick Rose, on where he's at right now. Is Oliver ready? Let's go ahead and bring Oliver in and talk some hoops. And joining me again is my good friend Oliver Maroney from About.com, DF Cafe, uh, the host of the KO Sports Show, which just launched this past week. Be sure to check him out on Twitter, guys. At O Maroney. Oliver, how you doing, man?
2: Hey, not too bad. How about
1: yourself? I'm doing alright. Look, I want to talk to you about your Blazers. I want, to st- I want to start there, because I know you cover them for About.com. You live in the area. You're really attached to this team. They've been hot and cold, you know, so far at the start this year. They're 8-12 and right now. They-, they beat a really good team in Indiana last night. But then, you know, they're four games under five hundred. What do you make of this team? Do- where-, where do you see their ceiling? Because the West, is- it's still really stacked right now, so they're not really out of it right now, even with that bad start.
2: Yeah, I definitely see them in the conversation of like 8 through 10 this season. And I, I think people may be surprised by that. But really, when you look down the West, uh, you know, it's not the typical Western Conference that we've seen in years past where uh, the 8th seed has 45, 46 wins. It's going to be close to, I expect, like 40 wins, maybe 39, 38. And so, therefore, the Blazers may be in this race for, for a while. Um, the Blazers are doing a, a couple of good things, and, and then obviously with the youth and inexperience, there's some stuff that needs to be hashed out throughout the season as it goes and progresses. Um, but really what you're looking at with this Blazer team right now is guard play and efficient guard play. When Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum are combining for 50 or more points uh, like they did last night, they are undefeated, um, and that's really the telltale sign of this team is, is the guard, guard play and how they're progressing. Um, The other thing that you you might look at as well is Myers Leonard was injured for four to five games with the Blazers and uh, really took away a lot of this uh, Terry Stotts spread offense, I like to call it. Uh, They spread the court and they open it up. They open up driving lanes for other players to get to. Myers Leonard definitely does that for this team. So when he was out, they they suffered dramatically in different categories, especially in uh, basically field goal percentage inside the paint. And I think with him back in the lineup, it really opens up the court and allows guys like Aminu and Gerald Henderson, C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, Alan Crabb, and other bigs like Noah Vonley and Plumley to get into those driving lanes and really, really attack the rim. And so I think that those are two telltale signs of this team progressing and getting better.
1: C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, arguably one of the top three backcourts, if not the best backcourt, on any given night. In the NBA right now, and going into the year, you would expect it to be, you know, Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler. And we'll get to that topic. There, That's kind of a train wreck on Derek Rose's side. Why do you think that Damian Lillard is averaging 25 points per game right now? You know, seven assists, and he really doesn't get spoke about that much. He's the quickest guy to 600 three-pointers. You know, is is Portland just too small of a market for him to get the love that he deserves? And and how good can C.J. McCollum be? Because, you know, he's averaging around 19 to 20 points right now. He's kind of having his breakout year, but... Do you see him being able to take it to the next level?
2: Well, on your point about Damian Lillard, I think Damian Lillard definitely is a player that, that goes under the radar a little bit, just because he is in Portland. Um, but uh, to be completely honest, you know, uh, Lillard's done a bunch of things this season and this offseason to get, get better and improve, and I really like where, where his head's at with this team. He's looking to be the leader, the go-to guy, and for me, he's proven night in and night out this season that he's, he's the, the bona fide leader of this team, and Piece, uh, you know, uh, arguably a number one piece on a championship winning team or a championship caliber team. If you get another piece, uh, a third piece or a fourth piece, then you may be looking at a chance for Portland Trailblazers to get in the playoffs and, and do that stuff. But I see Damian Lillard as the key to the city. He's going to lead them to the promised land if it's going to happen in the next three to four seasons. As far as CJ McCollum goes, McCollum's had a great year this year. Really, when he's struggled is when Damian Lillard goes off the court because teams tend to focus on him more defensively. See that he hasn't been in those situations before, so really it's unfamiliarity and and really unfamiliar territory uh, for C.J. McCollum defensively when Damian Lillard isn't on the court to, you know, get some of the defensive burden off of him. So those those are two two things I see with C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, but both of them are doing a great, excellent job so far this season. Damian Lillard especially, he's been a great leader.
1: Terry Stotts, do you see him being able to, to be around long-term? Is the team going to be patient enough with him? You know, the team's four games under five hundred right now. I agree with you. They're probably going to be an 8-10 to 10 seed. Earlier in the year, they kind of teased us. I thought they had a chance, to, you know, because they played so confidently. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the coaching because a lot of these guys are playing outside of their normal roles that they've been comfortable with. And, you know, they've been doing it confidently, and that speaks to coaching in my opinion. But do you think that he's a coach that can really, you know, they're going to have to put some more pieces in place. And, and you've, you've said that, and so like, we agree on that. For them to actually be a championship-caliber team, do you think he's a championship-caliber coach?
2: Certainly. There's nothing in my mind that tells me that he's not. You know, you look at even his first season and second season in the league, Damian Lillard gets drafted, and obviously they get a first-round win against the Houston Rockets team. They were totally unexpected to win that series. And so, I mean, you look at how he, how he has developed players and how he's grown and matured this, this young group already. And it only gives me promise for later on in the season. I I think they're only going to get better from here. They're a young team. Obviously, they're going to go through their ups and downs. They were up six or seven points with a minute left against the Dallas Mavericks and ended up losing the game. So there is stuff like that that needs to change and needs to happen. But uh, that comes with confidence. That comes with uh, inexperience. And so uh, a lot of the times you see that stuff get hashed out later in the season. And really, I I expect this team to, to have a really good push you know, maybe mid January, late January, and going into the All Star break, they could be you know a team that could be on a, like a, a five or six game win streak.
1: Now we were talking about, you know, that's some good stuff on the Blazers, and we we touched on the the back rows there and uh, the backcourt, excuse me, there in Chicago. That's a forty in slip. I'm getting two Derrick Rose right now, and Kobe Bryant's been terrible. You no, know, this year he's had the second worst shooting season in the history of the NBA over the last 55 years. Uh, only Woody Salisbury, uh, nineteen sixty sixty one, who shot twenty nine point nine percent. He played for seven teams, so somehow he kept getting on teams. But anyways, he, he that's the guy that's you know that shot worse than Kobe Bryant in the history of the NBA, and that's not good. And you don't really associate Kobe with that. But Kobe's got you know, he's got a reason. He's old, you know. Like so. His legs aren't there, and he's a jump shooter. So, it, it, you know, he's got reasons. Derrick Rose is 27 years old. He's technically still in his prime, and he has a lower PER this year than Kobe Bryant, who's having a historically bad season. Do you expect Derrick Rose ever to bounce back?
2: Yeah, I, I do expect him to bounce back. I don't know how much of a bounce back we're talking. Um, you know, is it MVP or all star caliber level, or is it just, you know, good NBA player level? Right now, his offensive efficiency is just poor, like you mentioned. His player efficiency is down. His shooting percentage is down. I mean, really, uh, this is Jimmy Butler's team now. I I don't see it any other way. Uh, And, you know, Derrick Rose really doesn't fit, I I don't think. He looks a little bit out of place in Chicago currently. And and the way that Hoiberg runs his system, he could work. Um, but I definitely see this Bulls team overall uh, having its struggles with Derrick Rose at point guard at the current moment.
1: Yeah, Derrick Rose has got a negative 40.99 PAE. And for those who don't know, it's a relatively new metric. And it, it measures, you know, the it compares the average shooter from every single spot on the floor to Derrick Rose's shot on the floor. And, again, and it puts it into a formula that says, you know, where is he? Is he a plus or a minus above an average shooter from every spot on the floor that he's, you know, shooting heavy volume from? And he's negative forty point nine nine, which is among the worst of all the rotational players in the entire NBA. So to say he's shooting poorly is really to put it lightly. He's one of the worst yeah. shooters in the entire league right now. He hasn't made a three from the right wing, the right elbow. He's shooting thirty five percent from the floor. You know, he's shooting. You know, it's just bad. I mean, he's twelve point four six points per game right now. He, he, like you said, he looks out of sorts. He doesn't have the same explosion, in my opinion. And, you know, that's – I don't know how much of that is that we can really – for a while, we all attributed, well, he doesn't want to push it 100%. because look what happens every time he does that. He rolls his ankle. He hurts his knee. You know, so maybe he's not really going full bore. But, you no, know, we saw Derrick Rose doing moves like Russell Westbrook for a long time. You know, that was the only, the only athlete at that size that we could really compare, yeah. you know, Russell Westbrook to. And I don't see that guy ever coming back, and I don't know. If he has the skill set, or he's worked on the skill set around, you know, being super athletic and super quick and being able to get—I mean, that was his advertising campaign for Adidas—was fast, you know. And so, yep. I'm not sure that he's worked on his, on his overall game to be able to do anything other than that. And you see him getting his shot blocked, getting hung up in the air, not being as explosive. It's kind of sad to watch.
2: Yeah, it is. It's really painful. And I mean, coming from like you said, comparing him to basically Russell Westbrook—he was one of the most athletic point guards we'd ever seen coming to the league. And now he, look at him now, he, he's a shell of himself. And it, it's painful to watch for me, uh, especially for Bulls fans as well, people who are really hopeful about this young team at the time. You know, three, four seasons ago, Tibbs comes in as a coach. He gets the mindset right. They really look like they're going to push for that, you know, second, third seed in the East and push Cleveland or Miami to, to the limit. And then, um, obviously, he just hasn't looked the same. And I, I don't know if Hoiberg's really the answer for him. Uh, but really, the, the Bulls overall, as a team, don't look like uh, the same team as they were in years
1: pr- past currently. And it's funny because their defensive efficiency so far this year is better than it was last year, and their offense is yeah. actually down, which makes no yep. sense. Makes yeah, no sense whatsoever. why they hired Hoiberg. Right, and and Hoiberg, I like Hoiberg. I mean, you can't, I mean, just we're 20 games into the season, or not even 20 games into the season for the Bulls. They're 11-5 and five right now, so they're 16 games into the season. And they've got a good record. They're the number two seed in the East. I really don't know how they're doing it because I watched them play. It's ugly, you know? And, and so I think if they get the right pieces in there, they're going to be okay. And to that point, Pau Gasol has said, I believe it was yesterday morning, that he's going to opt out um after this season because his next year on this contract is is a player option and he's already you know voiced that he's probably going to opt out and I think that's part of a again it speaks to these pieces don't fit for what not not only what Hoiberg wants to do but as a team overall you got an extremely inefficient point guard who doesn't look like he's got a well rounded enough game to really make the transition to being efficient again you know he's not going yeah. not ever going to be the same player again you got Jimmy Butler who is being pigeonholed basically by Derrick Rose kind of wanted to hang on to what he was. And I think at some point as the coach, you've got to say, look, this is Jimmy's team. You know, he he needs to be the one getting 20 shots per night. You need to be working on, you know, breaking down the defense because Derrick Rose can still break down the defense. He can still get into the lane and get the ball to Jimmy Butler. And that should be our number one option on offense. And that should be our goal every time down the floor because if they do that, you know, Pau Gasol's great working you off the ball for a big. He's a great passer. He's already looking for Jimmy. But if they can make that the focal point, you know, that, that's going to benefit them as a team, in my opinion, as they get further into the season. I don't think this the, this type of record is going to hold as they move forward. And as they play better teams, if they don't find a way to be more efficient offensively, it's going to get ugly fast, I think, in Chicago. I don't know if Fred Hoiberg, as a first-year coach, when you're bringing him from college, if he feels like, you know, he can, he can really say that to Derrick Rose and with all the money that Rose is getting paid, you know, I kind of think that this is going to be a year it's going to be a little bit lost. The, the, like we mentioned, the record's decent, but, you know, I think it's going to be wait until we get some of these pieces out of here and get some of these better pieces in here, unfortunately, for Bulls fans.
2: Totally agree. Totally agree. Couldn't agree with you more there. I mean, really, what you're looking at is Hoiberg, who has a bunch of, like, you know, he's used to mobile bigs. I mean, in the NBA today, it's stretch fours, small fives. I mean, you're seeing Paul George at like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, playing power forward. That That's really what Fred Hoiberg is all about, and you see it in college and obviously the pieces aren't there for them in, in Chicago currently. I definitely expect them to make a move either this midseason. I wouldn't be surprised if they make, make, make a couple trades or potentially uh, you know, come this offseason. They, they definitely need to change some things up. I mean, right now, their expected win-loss is 9-7. They're actually 11-5, and which is an indicator to me that they're better or, uh, worse than the record indicates.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, they're also
2: one of the worst teams in the East, with a positive point differential at 1.1 per game, which you know really tells me that they're just a shade above 500. Uh, really, when you look at it, so their record is definitely a little bit deceiving in that aspect.
1: Now, the Boston Celtics—they're 11 and 8 right now. To me, I think that's a, a little bit overachieving for the players they have out there on the court. You think that they're actually underrated? Give me, give yeah. me your. Yeah. Why do you believe that?
2: Well, first of all, they have one of the best defensive backcourts in the NBA right now, and I think they're underrated, both Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart, when he gets healthy again. I mean, their defensive rating is second out of 30 in the league right now. Um, their pace is fifth out of 30. And really, overall, I mean, all their numbers indicate that they should be better than their record indicates. And they're expected win-loss 13-6, and which is better than their current record. They have one of the highest positive point differentials in the Eastern Conference right now. They're playing at a really high level. They play well under Brad Stevens, and they've got a bunch of depth back there. I mean, Crowder, um, and then then obviously you've got Amir Johnson, who's really underrated, and and you can't really state what he does statistically, Uh, but on the court, he does a ton of things for this team defensively that help them in in a huge way. Uh, Obviously, David Lee, of course, um, getting actually less minutes than he did last year in Golden State, which is pretty strange as well, but... Overall, I think this Boston Celtics team is just going under the radar and really doing things soundly. They're not turning the ball over very much, and then on defense, they're creating uh, on eighteen percent of opponents' possession. They're creating a turnover, uh, steal, or block. But um, yeah, anyways, they're doing just a great job overall, and uh, I really like this Boston Celtics team.
1: I'll be honest with you, man. I I look at the Boston Celtics, and what I see is a bunch of second rounders. You know, a bunch of a bunch of average to above average players, not a single star on the team. And I know one thing about the NBA is you're not going to win a championship, you know, if, unless you have at least two stars on your roster, preferably three. And they don't have one. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas is a good scorer. He's not a star or a superstar. He's the closest that they have, in my opinion. Marcus Smart's a great defender, but his offense leaves a little bit something to be desired. And he's kind of injury prone. We're starting to see that a little bit recently, you know. Certainly. And there's not a lot of stars on this team. So, you know, for a Boston Celtics fan, if you're a fan out there, you're looking at this team, you're looking at the front office, and, you know, Danny Ainge keeps stockpiling these second-round picks, and look, man, you're not going to get a superstar or a star in the second round in the NBA. This is not the NFL, where you're going to find, you know, somebody in the late rounds that's going to be a superstar that can be one. This is the NBA. Really, if you don't get a pick in the top 10 or 15, more than likely, your picks are wasted. And so I think that the front office strategy needs to change. They're wasting kind of, I think, I believe, one of the best young coaches, if not the best young coach in the NBA, and maybe one of the best overall coaches in the NBA, because I think he's squeezing more, even at an 11 and 8 record out of this team, than what they really should be getting because he's such a good coach. And uh, I had a chance to meet Brad Stevens, and the guy looks like he should be on the team. He looks so young still when I was out there in Indianapolis. But he, uh, he's a tremendous coach. I think that he's underappreciated. The coach is, I mean, the team's overachieving. And I really I don't see them being able to make any sort of noise whatsoever just because they simply, when it comes down to playing like a Cleveland or really even a Toronto or even the middle, like a Miami, even a middle of the Pac Eastern Conference team, you need to have a couple of stars to really hang with teams like that. We saw Miami play a really good game last night against OKC. And they just don't have that, in my opinion. Regardless of what the defensive numbers look like, I just don't see it.
2: Yeah, I mean, we can de- agree to disagree on that one. I-, I think they definitely do have some stocked first-round picks, obviously with Brooklyn for the next couple of seasons here, which will probably get them a pretty high draft pick. I mean, they've got just a ton of picks that are unprotected uh, lottery potential there. Uh, they could end up with Ben Simmons, and then you'd be looking at this team like, "Wow, uh, that's uh-uh, a that's, maker. <laughs> that's ours.
1: That's the Lakers right yeah. there. No, no blue. No.
2: <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I, I, I know, but I mean, you're looking at Brooklyn right now. I don't think Brooklyn is much better than the Lakers. If if they're even better, <laughs> so I just like this Boston Celtics team. There's something about them that I really enjoy, and maybe it is because they don't have a, a bona fide star. The one thing that I I would mention is that when I was talking with uh, Sports Illustrated it's Ben Goliver. He went into basically how sporadic they are. They can score forty points in the first quarter and then go just scoreless in the second quarter, or, or basically scoreless. And, and you can see Isaiah Thomas go for thirty, and he can also go for fifteen. You know that is a sporadic thing, but that happens with young teams. I I, I just like this team uh, overall. Brad Stevens is a great coach. I think they're they've got the right mentality. They're they're basically their backroom staff, all the people. Through the through the team right now are great, and I, I really like where they're headed. I mean, they've got, like I said, like three or four first round picks in the upcoming seasons. Uh, you know, obviously they traded away Jeff Green, Rajon Rondo, got some picks out of him, and really overall, I just yeah, defensively they're one of the best teams in the league.
1: Now we touched on the Lakers just for a second, teasing about you know Ben Simmons, and it was interesting. You no know, news came out yesterday. I'm not sure if you can really call it news, but you no. Know, Colin Coward, you know he he's worked you know in the radio industry for a long time, and he made a lot of calls yep. and he and he cited a source yesterday. Now uh, this Lakers team, they're as impatient as the, as you know their fans are, and I'm, I'm a Lakers fan, and I, I am the first to admit that I am very impatient. You know, so yeah, and that's kind of the culture. I believe that you know when you win that much, it, when you it, win, right? Yeah, that you're going to be impatient. So it was interesting. Colin said that this team is willing to part ways with all. Of its youth. Literally, Julius Randle, Larry Nance Junior, Jordan Clarkson, and D'Angelo Russell. They see D'Angelo Russell as being a star in maybe two years. They don't want to wait on that. Julius Randle, they're really high on. I think he's a chance to be an all star right now on a competitive team. You know, that's the one that that's the one they'd really like to hang on to, but they're even willing to move him. So they're willing to move this entire core of young players. Is that bad or good?
2: Oh man. You've got to be open when you're a team. In a situation like the Lakers, I mean, they've been down for a couple of years. I know that the fans are getting impatient, and, and that comes with any team that wins a lot of games and then goes from winning to losing. And you see it just about everywhere in any sort of sport. You're talking NFL, baseball, any of them, you see them always frantically try and make moves. I think the best thing for the Lakers to do right now is to stand pat. You can't You can't just go out and make moves to make moves. I know that fans want to see it because, obviously, it makes it more entertaining and they've got something to basically root or get behind. But really, in the scheme of things, you're just putting in patchwork. You're not going to get three superstars for the guys that you have on that roster now, and you don't want to wager all your future by giving up a bunch of first-round picks for one superstar or two superstars, in my opinion. And so if you can't make a move that makes sense, then I say don't do anything. Stand pat, deal with what you have. And really, the one thing that I would say, if you're going to change anything, Move, I know that they said it already, move Kobe to the bench, though. Really think that that's the, the smart thing to do. You have to get Jordan Clarkson minutes to see if he's really the, the option that they want to keep. And, and that's what you really have to do in this league. I mean, you see it with the Blazers, you see it with Utah Jazz, you see it with a bunch of other teams where if you have a veteran player and you know you already know what he's capable of. So now you've got to go back and basically look at the rest of the roster and see what you don't know yet. And if you can play those guys 30, 40 games um, at the end of the season or the latter stages of the season and see what you have with them, it gives you a better indication, first of all, of what they're going to be like next season and season moving forward. And then also it gives other teams indications of, hey, this player could really be a, uh, a, a good pick. Let's try and see if we can make a move for him. So either way, you're, you're just adding value to your team at that point. And I think that's the only thing that I would say, if the Lakers are going to change anything, that would be the first thing I'd do. The
1: downside of that is if they don't play well, then they're not going to be as marketable. And then the other downside of that is this is Kobe's farewell tour. And the, and then the third downside of that is you're trying to protect your pick and have the worst record possible, and you're already off to a really good start at that, so why change it now? So, you know, I don't see Byron Scott benching Kobe. He'll never be of that course. guy. Yeah, He even no, said, I'll never be that guy. I'll never be that guy. And so if he's saying that, then that ain't going to happen. So it's going to be somewhat of a mystery, which is going to, it's going to leave the marketability of these players, or other teams, and plus, here's the thing that I really am—I'm terrified. Me is I'm terrified of uh, Jim Buss doing anything. You know, like he, if he—if his idea is to move the youth, I don't trust him to get the proper amount of value for anybody because I don't think he knows what he's doing. As a Lakers fan, I—I just—I agree with you. Stay in pat. You know, stay the course. You're already on a terrible path. It's going to protect the pick. Maybe you'll land Ben Simmons that way. The lottery balls fall your way. That's probably the best course of action. Let's move away from my Lakers. It's, it's a little bit depressing to talk about them. Let's talk about the Thunder. Now, the Thunder, now they started 11-8. and 8. Not, a, not an extremely you know, a sexy record that they have right now. But, you know, they're playing okay. They, they've, they, hung, they hung on without KD and KD's back. And it doesn't look like KD's really lost a step.
2: Yeah, he hasn't lost anything. I mean, he, lo- he looks great. I, I, I really like what he brings to the table. He is, he's a generational player. And, and what I mean by that really is just that he's uh, once in a once-in-a-lifetime kind of guy. The reason I say that is more or less that his, his field goal percentage has always been great. Uh, offensively, his efficiency is just it's one of the best in the NBA. And this Oklahoma City Thunder team is doing things maybe not to what people expected just yet, but I think they're going to be better than, better than their record currently. And I definitely expect them to be in that playoff push. I, I can even see them, once they get all their guys healthy, fit and ready to go. I can see them push for the 3-4 or even the 2 seed in the Western Conference if they can make up ground.
1: I'm not sure if you watch much of Serge Ibaka, but he's been dreadful on defense. What what is going on?
2: I don't know. I know he's had a lot of injuries and that's probably part of it. And and I believe he had a back injury of some sort last season as well, which really um mm, yeah. that scares me anytime any player has a back injury, especially a big guy like that. I know I've already had the witness guys like greg Oden come and go or brandon roy come and go but really that scares me anytime a player gets a lot of injuries over a short amount of time and they really don't put the rest that they really need into it that can really cause accumulative issues uh over the long haul and so maybe we're seeing a little bit of uh a little bit of that from sergey Ibaka currently
1: yeah and kevin durant's got his highest true shooting percentage at 65 that he's had in his career He's on pace it's to incredible. have yeah, he's on pace to have a thirty point five P E R for the year. He's shooting forty six percent from downtown, fifty two percent from the field, ninety one percent at the line. He's averaging twenty nine points per game. I hope he stays healthy. You know, that Jones fracture scares me, even now, even though he's been out there and he's been healthy. The, he had the hamstring injury, which is probably completely unrelated. If he has another lower extremity injury, I think the questions are going to start to pop up. You know, like, is it is it related? So I hope yeah. he stays healthy because he's a transcendent, like you said. He's a type of talent at his size we've never seen before, shooting-wise. And But here's my my stance on the Thunder. They're 11-8 and eight right now. They're obviously going to be winning at a better clip with KD in there. They're a better team. You know, you have Sergi Baca, which was, I considered, one of the best rotational defenders that I've ever seen uh, over the last few years. Incredible. You know, his ability to rotate and kind of cover up the holes there of uh, somebody like Cantor. And, you know, without his ability to do that, and Cantor on a max contract, and Steven Adams is kind of a, a plank out there. He's not really mobile, you know, either. I don't think that they can really hang in there against some of the better offenses when, you know, push comes to shove, and if that happens, and if that's true, and if I'm right about that, which it kind of looks that way, the way that they're built right now, and I'm not sure if Serge Ibaka, like, like you said, backs and basketball don't mix. You know, we saw it destroy Tracy McGrady's career, countless people, Larry Bird, you know, some of the really great players, and Tracy McGrady had a chance to be one of the all-time great players, he ended up being a really good player, but nowhere near what he would have been if his back didn't start giving him problems. So you know, I'm a little concerned about that with Ibaka, but I look at the makeup of this team and I just don't see them being able to get over the hump. And if they don't get over the hump, what do you think the chances are that KD walks?
2: I wouldn't be surprised if KD walks at this point. I mean, that, that's one thing that I, I read a piece by Danny LaRue of the Sporting News about how the Golden State Warriors could actually potentially get Kevin Durant uh, without having to move any of their big key scary, isn't it? He basically went into, yeah, you, you, you could keep Steph Curry, you could keep Draymond, and you could keep Clay and potentially get Kevin Durant. Now, you would have to get, get rid of a guy like Bogut and potentially Azili. There's a couple permutations with it, but really, there's that possibility. And if that's available to Kevin Durant and they you know, maybe make the playoff, go into a second-round loss or maybe even a Western Conference Finals loss, you may look at KD walking, and I think he's, he's one of those players that may walk for the sake of winning championships, and that's the only thing that he's going to walk for. So if he doesn't feel like he's gonna be able to win a championship in Oklahoma City, I, I think he looks elsewhere and I really think that the the Warriors could have a good shot at him.
1: Mm, I mean, why not? My word, I hope that doesn't happen as a Lakers fan. I mean, but at the same time as a basketball fan, wouldn't that be incredible to watch? My word. We had the yeah. best the best shooter with the best handles ever, you know, without question. And you know, and yeah. K D at his size is right up there as one of the best shooters ever. If you look at his percentages and his true shooting percentages that we just discussed, he's actually yeah. right up there with Steph. I mean yeah. so
2: in the forty, fifty, ninety club just like you know five or six other nba players over a season
1: so oh that would be brutal for my lakers and your blazers but it'd be it would be fun you know as a basketball fan i got one last question for you and it's something that i floated out there uh, last week on the flag two podcast and and I, I i'm i'm a little concerned about anthony davis you know is not being the player that we thought he was going to be i think he's really good obviously got the all the, the all the talent in the world but did we crown him a little bit too early I think we may have
2: crowned him a little bit too early, um, but the Pelicans don't have anyone around them. And and when you don't have anybody around you to play ball with, uh, it's going to be difficult for you to create and make opportunities for yourself, especially when teams know you're the only guy to go to. I mean, Ish Smith is like their saving grace right now and and we're sitting here looking at this Pelican team, Uh, Ish Smith isn't the answer, sorry. But (laughs) I mean, you look at the rest of the roster, it's just, Right now, they're just riddled with injuries. Alvin Gentry doesn't seem to have a grip on what he wants to do with this team or how he wants to move guys rotationally in and out. And I think they will get on to winning ways when they get Tyreek back. And, uh, yeah, they I think he a played his first guys. game the other night, yeah. Yeah, like when they get Tyreek fully healthy, let's say that, because really he's he's still going to have to play a couple games before he gets uh, gets minutes like, like you need him to be getting minutes so um uh, yeah it's just a difficult tricky situation with Anthony Davis right now I, I'm pondered by and kind of mystified by by what he's doing right now he's playing well he's putting up the numbers but really he's on one of the worst teams in the NBA statistically so when you're on one of the worst teams currently are you really that good if you're putting up those numbers are they you know are they kind of like ghost numbers in a sense but I uh, yeah, I think I think we may have crowned him a little bit too early as like an MVP caliber player. Can he get there? Of course. I mean, he's got all the size and all the capability, skill, and length, everything that you want in a center or big in this league right now, he is. He's mobile. He can get up and down the court. Does all the things right. It's just more or less, I think a lot of it is the team that he has around him currently and the way they're playing.
1: Yeah, and I I posed this question on Twitter after the end of last season. You know, during the the long offseason, you know, when we we're just kind of trying to find things to talk about on the show, and you you go into legendary status and all time grades, and then you also talk about projections. And I put out there, now when does Anthony Davis overtake LeBron James as you know the best player on the planet? And, you yeah. know, I didn't even give Steph Curry enough due in that. And Steph Curry is, you know, you can make a case that he's the most improved player as well. As, and there's no yeah. doubt he's no doubt he's yeah. the MVP. So that's my bad on that anyways. But, you know, Anthony Davis, we were talking about him like that. And there was a heavy discussion, you know, on my timeline about it. And a lot of people thought that it was going to happen in a year or so. And I'm not so sure now.
2: And the league is going away from a, a lot of this, you know, the big man play winning you championships in a case you know about 10-15 years ago the the debate was always do point guards really win you championships you know you can't really win with a a, even if it's even all-star caliber point guard you can't really win without a big i think it's almost the opposite at this point are are you with me on that
1: Yo i i totally agree and he can fit though i mean he's he's a guy that he's a big that can actually shoot from the outside a little bit you know he's not great he's not great from the outside like he's shooting 17 percent from you know the right the right wing three, but you know, overall he's a decent three point shooter and he can develop that part of his game. And you know, he shoots well from the elbows and you know, so like he, he, he's somebody you can evolve, I think. And that's, that's what is so enticing about him. I think to all the general managers and all the fans out there is he's got so much skill and ability, but you know, there's that narrative now that he's, he's somewhat soft too. He's been carried off the floor three times already. And you know, all of them were kind of minor injuries, but he's being carried off the floor. You know, it's, I, I, I've never seen that before in a single season by anybody. I don't know. I think I'd give it another year or so before I, I, I start to say he's completely overrated because he's certainly got all the skills. But there's some scary narratives that are starting to build as far as him being able to, to get to that MVP caliber uh, type of a candidate.
2: Yeah, and he shows he's shown a lot of the wrong signs, I guess you could say, facial expression-wise and emotionally. It seems like he doesn't seem fully in tune with the game. He doesn't seem fully happy. Um, And and I look back to, like, you know, Damian's rookie season. Uh, We lost a lot of games that season, and he always kept his head high. He's just a true competitor. And so I think a lot of it in the NBA is emotions and, you know, your mentality and how you deal with that, your confidence. And and I think maybe uh, we may have crowned him a little bit too early in that front as well. Maybe he's not the true competitor. Maybe he's a little bit different edge to him uh, than someone, uh, you know, you compare like LeBron James to Kobe Bryant. They're two different players in a sense, but uh mentality wise they're a little bit different as well. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, but I believe that LeBron James has got a deep burning desire to be a champion, you know, and just a different way of going about d- it. Yeah, exactly. Game. He plays a different style of ball to get that way. He plays basketball more the the quote unquote you no know, prototypical way, if you would, you know, and so that to people that looks like, oh, you're not selfish enough on the clutch, and he's been more and more know that guy on yeah. the clutch recently and so he's even changed that narrative himself and so you know it, it, it's way too soon to write off Anthony Davis since LeBron is kind of he's had a career metamorphosis in the way he plays the game the way he approaches the game the one thing's always been constant with LeBron is you never saw those type of facial expressions like you see with Anthony Davis or the yeah. app or the apathy you see with James Harden and those are like the telltale red flag signs like is this guy a winner or not you know can he exactly can he exactly. be that number one number option for yeah yep. Really good stuff, Oliver. It's always great to have you on the show. Uh, appreciate you doing it. We'll have to do this again sometime. Enjoy the rest of your day, bud.
2: Certainly. You too.
1: Good stuff, as always, from my man, Oliver Maroney. Be sure to give him a follow at Maroney. Great basketball mind. Great writer and the host of the KO Sports Show, where he's getting some really good guests. It's a Sports Illustrated's Ben Gulliver and some former sports agents. He's going to have some athletes on there. Great guy. Be sure to give him a follow. Give Coach a follow at b Breakdown. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search up B-Ball Breakdown on iTunes. We're going to be having shows dropping multiple times a week. We're be bringing on some of our, our own writers and some surprise guests coming up as well, too. Thanks again for joining us here on the Restricted Area Podcast, The Wrap. I'm your host, as always, Will Reeve. You can follow me on Twitter at Will Reeve Jr. Until next time, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to $0.20 per gallon in Safeway Gas Rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to $0.20 per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is $0.20 per gallon in a single fill-up, up up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store.